The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 58 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on this show are my own. I'm not the only president of past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to or result in my current employment. And I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So now that we got that out of the way, before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. HUB.com. So good evening, everyone. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving week. I got to tell you, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And who doesn't love a day filled with family, food, football? I mean, what could possibly be better than that? <laughs> I'm feeling pretty festive as the holidays approach. And I got to tell you, last week's episode with Kate Fasini gave me even more of a reason to be in a great mood. It was just a great episode. There was a lot of interest in hearing what she had to say on a variety of different topics because, she, look, she's so experienced in the space, not only as a former practitioner, but after all, she makes a living researching cybersecurity issues and cybersecurity problems and solutions as a cybersecurity reporter at one of the biggest TV networks in the world over at CNBC. So she knows a little bit about cybersecurity and the problems we're all facing in the industry, and it was a real pleasure having her on the show. What a perfect guest to be on Task Force 7 Radio. She's one of the most dynamic cybersecurity business reporters in the country. And because, look, we're, we're the voice of cybersecurity here, and we're on a business channel of the number one internet talk radio producers network in the world over here at Voice America. So it just makes a lot of sense to have her on the show, and it was just a perfect fit. So if you get a chance to hear last week's episode yet, I highly recommend you boot up your favorite playback medium, find last week's episode and, and give it a listen. I assure you, it's really worth your time. So that's CNBC cybersecurity reporter Kate Fazzini on episode number 57 of Task Force 7 Radio. Episode number 57 already. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you a link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. You can find Task Force 7 Radio on a total of nine different playback mediums, including iTunes.com, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at TaskForce7Radio.com, and of course, the number one internet talk radio producer in the world at VoiceAmerica.com. So all in all, nine different options to get your TF7 Radio fix. 
We're everywhere, folks. You can't miss us. If you Google Task Force 7 Radio, you'll get all your options. Check us out. TF7 Radio Playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, please don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we have a wonderful lineup for you this evening. This episode is going to be the epitome of what this show is really all about. I mean, coming up later on the third segment of the show, we're going to have Carlos Diaz and Anne-Marie Zettelmoyer on the show with us. So Carlos is a senior technical solutions specialist with Google. He's a creative cybersecurity and operations management professional with successful international experience in high-stress environments. He specializes in the practical incorporation of cyber tactics and information security frameworks. He's got 17 years in cybersecurity operations. He specializes in things like digital forensics and incident response and security operations centers, and he's focused on a variety of different industry segments, including the U.S. government and state organizations, and also retail, aerospace, and defense, and transportation. So a lot of really cool experience with Carlos as he's going to join us in the third segment of the show. Anne-Marie Zettelmoyer is also going to be on the show. She's uh, affectionately known as AMZ in some circles in the industry. She's the Vice President of Security Engineering over at MasterCard, and she's a member of the Board of Directors for SSH Security, a visiting National Security Institute Fellow at GMU Scalia Law School, and she has held a number of strategic and technical security leadership roles, including the Head of Security Architecture and Engineering and Solutions at Freddie Mac, Director of a think, Cyber Think Tank over at Capital One, Director of Business Analytics at FireEye, and also as a special advisor for the director of the United States Secret Service. She's got an MBA, she's super smart, and she's gonna be on the show with us with Carlos. And we're gonna be talking a little bit about their new organization, TTP Zero. Just to cue it up for them, TTP Zero is a, is a new community project created by security operations practitioners for security operations practitioners. I would describe it a little bit like this. It would be like just like a blueprints required to design and build and operate any kind of facility. TTP Zero provides the starting point for building or assessing a security program from the ground up. It focuses on resetting the basics of a security program to ensure a solid operational foundation focused on flawless execution. So later on the third segment of the show, Carlos Lamarie is going to be here to discuss how TTP Zero can aid you in determining which technique is best for your organization because everyone's got different needs, right? And everyone has a different focus on what their businesses really need the SOC to do. But they're going to be doing this while focusing on individual tactical capabilities along with the procedures that synchronize operations with the business. So, but first, before we get to all that, I really, really have a special treat for you tonight. I'm super stoked about it. The very first Chief Information Security Officer ever will be on the show with us this evening. Mr. Stephen Katz will be right here on Task Force 7 Radio. And for almost 40 years, Steve has been directly involved in establishing and building and directing information security and privacy functions. And he is widely recognized as the first ever CISO. How cool is this, right? He's the first individual to ever be named a CISO of an organization, a guy who literally paved the way for an entire industry going to be right here with us on Task Force 7 Radio. Steve is the founder and president of Security Risk Solutions. And I'm going to take some time to give you his background because it's worth the time. It's worth the time. It's probably going to be the longest introduction of a guest I've ever had here on TF7 Radio, probably because he has so much tenure. And look, he just has a tremendous amount of credibility, tremendous amount of credibility. 
So risk, uh, Security Risk Solutions is an information security company providing consulting, mentoring, coaching, and advisory services to major mid-sized startup and venture capital companies. Steve is also an executive advisor to Deloitte, which is huge. And he's on the advisory boards for Agari, Glasswall, Quantify, and Trustmap, a whole bunch of other folks, as you can imagine. And he served as a member of the ISC Squared America's Advisory Board for Information Systems Security. And he's also been an advisor to the Executive Committee of the Financial Services Sector Coordinating Council. Uh, so we're also going to talk about the physic a lot, and we'll get into that with Steve later on. But Steve's real-world experience is really unmatched in, this, uh, in the security space. I mean, Steve organized and managed the information security program at J.P. Morgan for 10 years. In 1995, he joined Citigroup after a widely publicized hacking incident, and it was there at Citi that Steve was named the industry's first chief information security officer, and he spent the next six years directing Citigroup's global corporate information security office. Steve then joined Merrill Lynch as the chief information security and privacy officer, where he organized and instituted the company-wide privacy and security programs. Steve also served as the interim CISO and advisor to the head of technology risk at Kaiser Permanente. And also, as you probably guessed, he is also a mentor and coach to a number of CISOs in the Fortune 50 company list. He's actually testified before Congress on numerous information security issues and was appointed as the first financial services sector coordinator for critical infrastructure protection by the Secretary of the Treasury. He was also the first chairman of the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center and is an advisor to the National Health Sharing and Analysis Center Board of Directors. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to have a true trailblazer with us this evening, Mr. Stephen Katz. Stephen, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, George. Happy to be here. Hey, so I'm really happy that you came on with us. I mean, you bring a, a tremendous amount of credibility, and I know a lot of people are going to listen to the show because they want to listen to what you have to say. So, Steve, so much to talk about. Let's start from the beginning. How did you start your career in information security? I'd like, <clears throat> I'd like to say it was well-planned, but it was absolutely sheer, sheer accident or serendipity. Uh, I was working, I had two careers at City, uh, one right out of school and we were part of an internal consulting group uh, that provided technology support uh, across city, at that time, First National City Bank. And uh, the whole idea of the passwords and IDs and passwords were just, just making some noise and making, uh, and we figured that we need to do something because something was better than nothing and we started requiring ID and password modules to be built into COBOL and uh, Fortran code. Uh, so lo and behold, uh, we're one of the very few companies that were doing anything with information security. That sort of leaked out, and I was contacted by a recruiter asking me if I'd be interested in talking to the folks at Morgan Guaranteed Trust who were setting up a, uh, a data security department. Uh, kind of interesting, the, in the late 70s, fairly early 80s, the uh, bank examiners uh, mandated that banks begin to uh, obtain a, uh, a cybersecurity product. And we had three on the market, RACF, Top Secret, ACF2. Uh, and banks were very good. They went out and bought it. It took a couple of years for the examiners to put another requirement, and that is that they had to go ahead, go ahead and install it. And uh, <clears throat> so as part of the install at, at Morgan Guarantee, and we just began to uh, 
require security for all mainframe applications. And I guess early 80s, the uh, PCs were coming out, and we suddenly had uh, you know, tech, heads of technology saying, you'll never bring PCs into the bank, and the trading floor bank is saying, well, yes, we will, and the rest is history, they were there. Uh, early on, we had uh, a gentleman come in who had Peter Tippett, who was this widely known, widely renowned, was one of the founders of a company that developed a very early antivirus product. And called in, came make a visit with me and demonstrated his product, put a couple of five and a quarter inch uh, discs into uh, some of the PCs in the area, and lo and behold, we discovered a couple of viruses. Uh, made, he left, made a phone call to the CIO and uh, said, look, we've, you've heard about these viruses, I think we have a problem here. And Bill was kind of busy, so he said, look, I'm preparing for a board presentation tomorrow. Uh, meet me in front of the boardroom and tell me what's going on. Uh, got up there at 10 o'clock, told him quickly, said, that's great. Uh, take the first few minutes of my board presentation, you're on. Then <laughs> walked into the Morgan Guaranteed boardroom, which is huh. as big as a stadium and a table that was longer than anything. And, there was a picture of uh, J.P. Morgan sit, you know, sitting at the end of the, uh, right. the conference room. And first, it, first lesson of security is tell a tale, tell a story that people will remember. So I looked around at this august body and said, you've heard about these things called computer viruses. Uh, first thing is you can't catch them. <laughs> Second is put yourself down in our training room and see fives becoming eights, sixes becoming nines, fours becoming zeros, what does that do to our trading position? And eyes got wide. So the first lesson is, <clears throat> tell a story that's meaningful to the audience you're talking to, <clears throat> make it relevant, and we didn't talk about technology, we talked about a business risk that had to be addressed. Hmm. Led to the, I guess, Second soundbite that I've taken through my entire career that information security is a business risk management issue. So step one, tell a story that's understandable. Step two, uh, recognize that information security can advise on risk. We can't manage risk. Businesses have risk. Uh, one of the board members turned to me and said, can you get rid of the problem? <clears throat> and I said, we can find a way to mitigate the risk, minimize the risk. We cannot get rid of it. He said, <clears throat> why can't you? I said, the technology that's available today just doesn't give us the tools to completely remove information security risk. But it does give us the tools to try and stay up with it as much as we can and to minimize it as much as possible. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, uh, he turned around and said, how much? I said, about 400,000. He said, go do it. So, and the, so the t lesson there and something I've taken with my entire career is tell a story, make it relevant, and you want to advise on business risk and make sure that the problems that you are describing are business problems that you can solve. And oh, by the way, that it helps security as well. Right, right. So what led you to City and becoming the first CISO? I mean, what were the events that led up to that and how did that become about? Built the program at Morgan. In fact, we had uh, fairly well known in the banking community as having a really outstanding program and got a call from the same recruiter that invited me to interview at Morgan Guarantee. 
and the rumors around Wall Street were that uh, First National City Corp had been hacked. Uh, and would have been interested in taking an interview with City. And I said, God, that'd be a good idea because I'd like to figure out what happened at City so it won't happen here at Morgan. And during, I guess, the better part of a three to four month interview process, which included uh, everybody up to and including the CEO, uh, they talked about the hack. It hadn't quite been made public at that point. Uh, but they said they, it did have board attention and the decision was to appoint an information security executive that would be, in my case, two down from the, two down from the CEO with ready access to the board. And <clears throat> because every, everyone else that was at a executive level had a C, <clears throat> I was interviewed as information security officer and walked out the door as chief information security officer. Hmm. Well, is that where, the, is that, is that where the, the term CISO actually came from? Exactly right. <laughs> That's really interesting, man. But the, the charter was kind of cool. It said, uh, we're going to announce that the international funds transfer system was hacked. And we'll give you pretty much a, a blank check uh, to deal with the problem. And oh, by the way, we want you to meet with our top 20 international banking customers and around the globe and convince them as to why they should stay with City and not go with uh, and you're not drop city and go with the other banks. Uh, so 30 days into the, the job, the, the hack was announced, and I spent the next month on a plane going from uh, VP of Finance, controller to treasurer, talking about what city had been doing before the hack, what the hack was all about, uh, how we're preventing it going forward. And I gave him a list of six questions, which had nothing to do with technology, but brought, this, brought it home. And the questions really were, do you care about who you're talking to? Once you know who you're talking to, do you want to be able to control what they do? Do you care about the integrity of information? Do you care about the privacy of information? If it's a transaction, do you want a signed receipt? And if there's a problem, do you want to know about it? How soon? And they laid out, okay, here's what City did six months ago. Here's what we're doing now. Here's what we'll be doing by the end of the year. Uh, Suggest you take these questions, go out and talk to your own security groups, and talk to the other banks you're dealing with. Interestingly enough, when I got back to the States, I started getting phone calls from these guys saying, we talked to the other banks and they told us they can't let us know what they're doing because it's security. And my view is, you as a customer have a right to know. Right. We did not lose a customer. Because they, under, they understood the problem was, uh, was explained to them in very simple, straightforward language. The what and the why became amazingly clear, and the how was uh, part of the ongoing discussion. So was it nerve-wracking taking on an executive title and responsibility that not had been given to anyone ever before? <laughs> what was the first 90 days like? Uh, someone asked me what it was like to ask that question, and I said, well, not a problem. I sleep like a baby. I get up every two hours and cry. <laughs> and, and it was it was nonstop, uh, but I was probably just too you know so immersed in what had to be done that it given any thought to uh, you know any any particular kinds of concerns or challenges. I did uh, bring on during the first couple of uh, first week a really really incredibly bright uh, chief of staff, chief admin officer, chief 
administrative officer, and he held down the fort while I was on the road. But it, security was so darn new at the time that making it understandable and real uh, made my life a lot easier. And having a blank check, we were the first company in the world to set up these things called business information security officers, which is now a pretty common term. Uh, we set up geographical or regional information security officers. Uh, we put together a, a risk uh, acceptance process for any variance of policies and standards. In fact, one of the first things I did at City was my admin walked in day two and gave me a stack of paper and said, these are security variances to a policy that was almost non-existent and they need your approval. Um, since I was high enough in the pecking order, I said, City has a new policy. There aren't any variances. There are exceptions to risk, and they have to be signed off by and approved by a business executive. Uh, and the only role I played in that was uh, one line on the form, because it was paper at the time, saying, approving this goes against the recommendation, not the veto, but against the recommendation of the chief information security officer. Hmm. And those are metrics that were reported going to the board were number of risk acceptances by line of business and number of risk acceptances that were implemented against my recommendation. In the six years I was running the program, we never had one that was against my recommendation. They felt it was easier to address it than to have to explain to the board and their peers why they were over my, overriding my recommendation. <laughs> Which says security is a, is a business risk management issue, but information security professionals aren't risk managers, they're risk advisors. You lay out the alternatives, you make a recommendation, and it's the business leader that has to make the decision as to what they want to do. And the same there as any other risk that, the, that uh, a business has to face, whether it's geographic risk, financial risk, reputational risk. Risk is strictly a business issue, and I think we as security professionals have to recognize that there are times you get paid to make a decision and times you get paid to make the recommendation. And it's critically important that we remember, remember which one we're doing at the time. So did, did you know the significance of the job that you have been given at the time? I mean, look how the industry has evolved off the role that you were given. It's amazing. I mean, you, did I don't you think know? any of us did. All these security officers of the New York banks knew each other. We met with each other. Uh, we just recognized that it was a job that had to be done. And it was hard to explain because security, information security barely had a name. Uh, and it, I think it was so busy trying to figure out what we had to do. And again, we shared information as a group. We uh, were leaning on each other as a group. We had shoulders to lean on when we needed it. And we recognized that our goal was to ensure that uh, we were able to provide the level of trust that we've committed to, to our customers. Uh, I mean, that sounds easy to say now, but I mean, it's, it, you're making it sound very easy. I mean, I mean I, you got to think, right? Back then, this is the first role ever given to anyone. How did you know what to do? I mean, essentially, a lot of ways, you, you were tasked to do something no one had ever been tasked to do before. How did that you know? made it incredibly, an incredible amount of fun. <laughs> uh, it really, it was, the challenge was, 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 it was insane because there wasn't anything to compare it to. Right, right. So it was, what makes sense then? And the other, the other, thing that worked very well for me, and I, I think Steve Jobs got credit for this quote, I wish, wish it was mine. Uh, if you think you are the smartest person in the room, go to another room. Hmm. Uh, I hired the smartest people I absolutely could find anywhere, and I 
recruited them out of any bank and any company I could find. Uh, and the challenge I gave to each of them when they you know, finally got to me is, this job has to, you, I'm talking to you because you are, as far as I can ascertain, the absolute best in the industry in what you do. Uh, I'm going to, by and large, you know, set, you know, set a direction, set an objective, get back to me, make sure you don't surprise me, uh, and I will support you in any way I can. Uh, but just make sure, A, I'm not surprised, B, you advise me when I have to be advised, <clears throat> and C, I want to make sure that this job is so damn exciting and challenging so that you will wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning and say, I've got the answer. And I said, if I can't have that amount of commitment from you, uh, go, you know, don't accept the job with me. Right, right. So I had a staff that was brilliant, excited, and loved the challenge. And they were particularly vocal about, hey, you know, go this way, don't go this way. So the recommendations were always well thought out. Uh, and the other thing I told them is that you're going to spend a lot of time meeting with senior executives at City. And every executive at any company really believes they're extraordinarily smart. So when you go to meet with them and explain something to them, they know they're capable of understanding it which means you have to be capable of explaining it in terms they understand. Because if they don't get it, I'm going to get a call that I sent somebody to them who's incompetent. I can't have anybody incompetent as part of the team. So everyone on the team was really well-trained and well-versed in how to tell a story and get a message across so that business leaders realized we were there to solve a business problem. How we solved it was, tech was, uh, was technology or was it an awareness program or training program. But the problem was a business-related problem or regulatory-related problem. You know, looking back now on your experience as the industry's first CISO, would you have done anything different at the time? I mean, is there something that sticks out in your mind that, hey, look, if I had to do it all over again, I would do this differently? Yeah, only one thing. And it's, it sounds really dumb. But in 1997-98, I said, if we do our jobs right, by the time we get to early 2000s, we'll have worked ourselves out of a job. That didn't happen. <laughs> I don't know. That didn't happen. But every, so, many of the pro, so many of the things that we did in the 90s uh, you know, are, are so incredibly relevant today. And I think the only frustration I have is that uh, my focus has always been on solving and addressing a business risk. And too often I hear my fellow security professionals talk about you know, fixing, you know, owning, owning responsibility for a technology problem. Technology is the how. The what and the why are, you know, take priority over the how. And I think our job has to focus very much more on the what and the, the, what and the why. Uh, and when the how is implemented, we then have to go back and say, here are the what and the whys. Did you implement something that really addresses the what's and the whys? Right. So, Steve, we've got to take a little time to go to commercial break, but, you know, hang with me right here because – I want to pick your brain about a whole bunch of cybersecurity issues. This is really interesting. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio for any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications. Please email me directly at george.redis at taskforce7radio.com. That's george.redis at Task Force 7, that's with the number 7, radio.com.
I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. Some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with the very first Cisto in any industry, Mr. Stephen Katz. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the first ever CISO in the industry and the founder and president of Security Risk Solutions, Mr. Stephen Katz. So, Steve, let's uh, continue our conversation. I mean, back when you took over as the first CISO uh, ever in the, in the whole industry, were there any information sharing activities between institutions then? I mean, how did people actually even communicate? Was it, did it even exist? The risk has always been a primary objective focus of uh, the banking community and the investment banking community. 
So <clears throat> going back to the mid-80s, the data security officers or data security leaders at all the New York banks would get together every three to four months. Uh, and there were no real official agenda, only two official agenda items. Uh, one was a, who was going to be responsible for bringing in the donuts and coffee, uh, and who was going to be responsible for holding the next meeting. And the rest of it was eight, 10, or 12 of us <clears throat> sitting down around a table, eating donuts, eating bagels, and saying, what's going on in your life? What, what, what issues are you facing? And uh, what's working? What isn't? And uh, how can we reach each other when something goes bump in the night? Uh, and we really, we really just learned from each other. Uh, we recognized early on that if one of us had a problem, somebody, one of the other uh, of us either really had it and didn't know about it or would have one coming up. And we also realized that if it affects one bank, it affects the entire banking community. Right. So while the banks com uh, really competed, well, there was never any competition on security and security risk. It was just, just we're all in this game together, which meant that when uh, President Clinton signed uh, PDD 63, which called for the creation of uh, ISACs, Information Sharing and Analysis Centers, uh, it was relatively easy for the banks because we had a core constituency of all the New York banks to begin with. All right. I mean, it's amazing because that, that group of people still exists today. That meeting still occurs every quarter. Mm -hmm. I've been to that meeting many times. And it's amazing that, you know, you were part of a group that started that meeting and it's still functioning today. And it's, you know, very high functioning, actually. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about... What's that? The ISAC has actually gone international. It's just incredible. Yeah, it's crazy how much it's grown. And the fact that you were, you know, on the ground floor to get these things started is just so... Uh, crazy interesting, you know, I mean, how, you talked about business alignment before, and I, I was, you know, thinking about what you said uh, in the first segment of the show, you know, what, what do you recommend to executives now? How do you get the message across to, you know, your customers, your clients, and your business leaders? Make sure what you're doing is relevant, or what you're saying is relevant to the business. Uh, all too often, we wind up talking about how we need to get something accomplished. Uh, the mantra, and a friend of mine is one of the major uh, insurance companies, when he introduces a product, spends the first 15, 20 minutes talking about all the business and marketing advantages it has, and oh, by the way, it enhances security. That has to be the perspective. We're not security companies. We're, we're financial companies. We're health services companies. We're manufacturing companies. Uh, companies need to bring products to market. Companies need to make sure, make sure that uh, they maintain the trust of uh, their customers and, and their employees as well. Uh, we had a very early on, we had uh, John Reed, who was the CEO of City, do a, a security awareness video for us. It was a VCR tape, but those were the days. And John had two early messages. Uh, first one is City, City Corp has two products, money and trust. If we can't sell the trust, we won't be able to sell the money. And the second is security has to be like brakes on a car. Brakes are there to allow you to drive faster. If you didn't have brakes, you'd be going at two miles an hour. Security has to be there to enable businesses to move faster, to deliver products faster uh, and, and, and safer. Uh, and with that kind of backing from the CEO and the equivalent backing from the board, 
It made life fairly easy, but the recognition is that security is a business enabler. Uh, two years old, two-year-olds can say no better than anybody. Our job was finding the most effective path to yes. Hmm. How, about, how about the board? I mean, how receptive was the board back then to information security issues as compared to what you see now? This was one of the, we really pushed hard because because I came in after a hack, I had the board, the attention of the board and the city also had a, a separate risk committee, which I reported into as well. Uh, but the board understood that there was a hack and that this was something that had to be done. And we had attention from the risk committee and annual attention from the board. And we walked around and they said, God, it would be great if we could only have more board involvement. And that was one of those things, be careful what you wish for. Right. Because today's practitioners have more board involvement than they could possibly want. <laughs> uh, and actually, the, uh, and there's been a considerable number of uh, documents coming out from, uh, I guess, NACD coming out with one of them, talking about uh, cyber risk issues that have to be addressed by the board. So the board is becoming more and more, edu- more, and more educated, which means we, the CISO community, the security community, has to be able to go in there and deal with issues the way any other senior executive deals with them when they present to the board. And it's not how many hacks do we have or how many pings do we have or how many viruses do we have, but what are the most significant threats to the business? Why is it important to us? What is it we're do- we need to be doing that we're not doing? What, is, you know, what resources do you need that we're not, we're not giving you? Uh, what, you know, what are the, what's the direction we need to look at over the next uh, two to five years? Uh, so the board's getting much more involved, much more directly involved, but it says that the CISO has to recognize he's dealing with the senior governance body of the company. And they are not operations managers, they're not technology managers. They are, they are the governance bodies, and we have to make sure that we provide them with the information they need so they can ensure proper cybersecurity governance and technology risk governance of the corporation. So do you think there's different kinds of CISOs out there? I mean, you're, you're well versed in the space, obviously. Probably the most. God. I mean, what do you see? You are so, absolutely, I, I have to, I'm paraphrasing a study that uh, Gary McGraw did a couple of years back on the four tribes. But I really see four, you, four interesting types of, of CISOs. Uh, I look at it more of a, as a progression as opposed to separate, uh, uh, separate functions. But the earliest one, and the one you probably see more, most often, is the firefighter. Uh, oh my God, we've got a problem here, you go fix it. There isn't any formal program, or it's, if there is a program, it's loosely held together. And it says, you, know, it, you sort of res- it resurrects itself when there's a problem. It puts together whatever solutions they have. They're really good at bringing task forces together. Uh, war rooms together, get the problem solved, uh, no general or encompassing program, and uh, the person running it has an equal, equal chance of being you know, either successful or fired, but it's putting out a fire. Uh, the next one progression that I look at is the, is the compliance-focused uh, CISO, and that is you know, the, the regulations out there, depending upon the industry that you're in, uh, and the club is fear, uncertainty, doubt. You got to do it because mommy says so. Because I'm mommy, and I, 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 I'm the keeper of all, all regulatory requirements. And oh, by the way, if you don't like it, 
I'll call daddy and daddy will be the audit department or the uh, external examiner. The third type is the technologically focused CISO. <clears throat> and we have many, many of those. Mm. Uh, their training, their focus, uh, their expertise is only for technology and they're moving more into a risk-based function. Uh, the risk there is that, I guess the cliche is to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. To a technology professional, the solution always looks like technology. And the technology is the how. So the technology-focused CISO has to really begin to think about how he deals with the what and the why, and then the how. And then the, the, the top one is the one I'm calling the enabler. <clears throat> and he or she is a security executive. Uh, he or she figures out what has to be done with the board. He or she uh, works on the what's and the why's. And he and she becomes a valuable, trusted advisor to the executives of the company as well as the board. Uh, and, least, <coughs> and it requires a tremendous amount of soft skill, the ability to negotiate, the ability to run a, a company within a company, the ability to sell and market a program, the ability to say, here's, why it's, here's what we're doing is important to the business, <coughs> and here's why it's important. And here's why I'm spending 50% of my time as a chief security evangelist. Uh, the challenge there is very few CISOs come, were born as enablers. So they've come up through the firefighting ranks, or the, uh, the <coughs> compliance ranks, the technology ranks, and it's trying to figure, how do you leave old habits and old training behind when you have to spend 50% of your time as the chief marketer and chief evangelist? So, you know, it's funny because Gary McGraw is actually on this show talking about those four tribes. Hey, Gary, Gary's incredible. Yeah, he's incredible. He's incredible. And the fact that you're referencing it is really interesting. You know, um, it, it, I, I definitely see that there's, there's definitely different types of CISOs out there. There's different types of approaches. And I think a lot of organizations are using deputy CISOs now to sort of make sure they round out all this the skills and, 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 and capabilities that – uh, a CISO actually needs to be successful. Do you see that a lot? Do you see a lot of organizations going with a CISO and a deputy CISO to kind of get as many yeah, sets in as possible? Absolutely. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but absolutely right. And I think the challenge that CISO has is bringing on the deputy, and I brought in the, uh, not a deputy, but a guy that I use as essentially my chief operating officer. My skills are more on the future, you know, as more, with more of the futurist, the uh, strategist, the uh, marketer, the evangelist. So I brought in the guy to fill my void suit who was incredibly good at focusing on detail and keeping my, keep my butt out of the fire. I think right. the challenge for the CISO, as he, as he or she brings in the deputy, is saying, what are my strengths and what are my, lessons, you know, what are my areas where I'm not that strong in? And make sure that where you have a weak suit, you bring somebody in to fill that. Right. I think that's, that's key. I mean, to me, I think that's really, really important. Uh, to be able to accomplish your mission and especially at the speed that we able to be, have to move these days. I mean, you mentor a lot of new CISOs and what, what are some of the things you ask them to think about? <laughs> it is a couple of things and you know, it's incredibly important. And so I will sort of encapsulate some of my first couple of conversations with, with brand new CISOs. Uh, and I ask questions, and what I'm amazed at half the time is that I really can't get a crisp answer, which is the homework assignment, go get an answer, we'll talk next time. And the first is, uh, do you really understand what business your company is in? 
How does the company gain, you know, gain revenue? How does the company make, uh, gain earnings? Uh, what are the products and services? Who are the business executives that are in charge of those products and services? What do you know about them? Uh, the other is, why should your company have a security program? And you would expect to have someone have a ready answer for that. And invariably, they don't. It's well as required. There's the board requires it. Okay, why? And get them to think through, okay, who are the business leaders? How do they generate revenue? Why is there a program? And then, uh, another interesting question. You have a board of directors. Who's on the board? What do you know about them? Do your homework. The same way any good sales or marketing person has to do their homework about clients, you as a CISO have one client. It's your, it's your, uh, your company. Understand yeah. your client. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Know your client, know your audience, right? And, and when you do that, put together a, a marketing, an internal marketing plan. How are you going to market yourself within the company? <laughs> I know, I know, I know a lot of people don't do that. <laughs> Unfortunately. They don't. They don't put a lot of thought into that at all. Um, what do you say to some of these cybersecurity professionals out there that hope to someday become a CISO? Why? Literally, why do you want to become a CISO? And, well, they make more. Well, they have more responsibility, okay? Probably right in both counts. They probably also lose, you know, have less sleep than, than you do today. Uh, but the other question is, what do you like to do? What's your passion? If you're, if you're a technologist, and a lot of security CISOs come out of the technology world, as a, as a technologist, you have a safety net. It's untouchable. It's marketable no matter where you go. And as you move from, you know, a technological expert into a CISO role, you go on a trajectory where you become, you know, you know, go from technological expert to being technologically proficient to being technologically knowledgeable. And when you're down that path, and hopefully you are increasing your soft skills at the same time, but when you go down that path, it's really hard to climb it again if you don't make it at the CISO role. So make sure that's really what you want. And, and figure out what is your passion? If you really want a technologist, if you really want to be a security architect, God bless you, go do it. Uh, don't let the allure of not the title get, you know, get in your way. Uh, take some time to figure out what are your strengths? What are your skills? Can they, are you comfortable getting up in front uh, of an audience? Are you comfortable getting up in front of a board? Are you comfortable getting some really skilled people, business executives, uh, drilling down into a, little, into a level of depth, you know, level of question that you've never had to deal with before? Are you comfortable enough with really preparing for, preparing for a presentation long enough so that it looks like you are completely relaxed doing it? Are you prepared to put together a business within a business where you're running, you're running a company, you need a marketing plan, you need a sales plan, you need a budget, you need an operations plan. Are these skills, you, if you don't have, are these skills you want to develop? Recognizing that when you develop, when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. If you're saying yes to moving, to enhancing soft skills and business skills, you are saying no to maintaining your technological expertise. And then have a discussion, hopefully with your pillow, trying to figure out what you really want to do. I want to, I want to get your thoughts on, 
you know, the compliance space and how it intersects with cybersecurity in a lot of ways. And I think some of these cybersecurity jobs out there have just become nothing but a compliance checkbox. You know, how, do, how what do you say to uh, the CISOs out there who are trying to make the jump from a security and compliance focus to a more of a security risk mitigation model that really focuses on business outcomes instead of just a compliance checkbox? Compliance has a, has a purpose, and that is it is a minimum baseline. If you look at it as a ceiling, you're setting yourself up for a really low ceiling, and it's a highly addictive way to live because you can sit back and say, these things have to be done. But when you stand up in front of an, you know, an executive committee, you are saying, when you're saying these things have to be done, they ask interesting questions like, what happens if we don't do it? What's the impact of not doing it? What is the cost of doing it? Do we really, can we really say if we are you know, compliance focused that we have a, a fully effective security program? Are we, by dealing with compliance, are we, are we addressing our highest risk, highest uh, valued assets first, or are we just checking a box? Every business executive, every board member knows that business leadership gets paid to take risk. Whether it's developing a new product, whether it's developing a new pharmaceutical, whether it's uh, taking a, uh, a trading position, whether it's taking a banking position, you take a look at risks and sort of the executive gets paid to look at the risk, weigh the risk, and make a decision one way or the other, and be able to justify the position they've taken, and also recognize that sometimes you take a risk, you made the wrong, you've made the wrong decision, and you lose. Uh, are you comfortable doing that? Because the executive leadership and boards, again, they're a governance function. And they say, okay, what should we, what do we need to focus on? What is important? If we solve this problem, this security problem, does the problem go away or have we just mitigated it? If we just mitigated it, what is the residual risk we have to deal with? Life is more than just a bunch of controls and checkboxes that you have to control someplace. At best, if you do a really great job, you have the controls in place at the exact point in time that you did the assessment. I've seen a number of companies who've had control, you know, have met PCI requirements and suddenly get hacked. Uh, so it really says, you know, what, what's my concern? What is the impact if something goes wrong? What does it take me to correct it or mit attempt to medi mitigate it? Uh, and what is the residual risk? And, Am I still, can I explain to the board or can I explain to an audit committee why I went, I took path A instead of path B? So you're really super connected in this industry, right? What are the top CISOs in the industry focusing their agendas on right now? Very much a business focus, business enablement uh, process. There's some really incredible CISOs out there. Uh, leave their names out. I'm sure you've had a bunch of them already on, on, the, on the radio with you. Uh, but they're really sitting back and saying, how can I provide assistance to the business leadership so we can deliver products, services, uh, with first mover advantage, uh, with, the, with minimum, minimal levels of risk, and where there are risks, make sure they are clearly articulated so I can help make a risk decision. Uh, but not that security isn't the, isn't the focus, but the security is... Let's see what the business problem is that I'm trying to fix. And here are the alternatives to, to 
getting those, you know, to getting uh, remediation in place. And what are the trade-offs if I take remediation path one, two, or three? Uh, recognizing that there will never be 100% security. And the other issue is, and it's, I want to make sure I touch on this you know, before we end the, uh, the show, the security officer has a commitment, at least in my, from my perspective, a commitment to the board of directors and the, uh, and the CEO of the company. And there are times when a situation will come up where the CISO will be reporting to whoever, hit, whoever his or her direct report is, the supervisor is, uh, and they have an issue where they feel that it's significant enough to do something about it, and the person they report to says, uh, I don't think that's the way to go. The CISO has to be confident enough to say, if I'm going to be fired, I want to be fired for doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. And if necessary, go over the head of their immediate supervisor and go to whether it's the audit committee or the board or the chief risk officer and say, here's a concern. My perspective is if I'm going to get fired, I'd rather get fired for doing the right thing than the wrong thing. Uh, and I think if we take a look at uh, security breaches that have occurred over the past year or two, we see in some situations the CISO took a bullet, in other situations the CIO took a bullet. Uh, and I think the, what makes the difference is the type of relationship the CISO has both with his uh, direct supervisor, but more importantly, with executive leadership within the company. How credible are you? So, you know, you're talking about moral courage here, I think, a little bit. And I think, you know, it's, it, it's hard to find that kind of sort of bravery um, in the industry. Actually, any executive, to be honest with you, right? I mean, to, to be able to do that. And, and now we're talking about traits of a CISO, right? So, can you, right before we break here, can you just talk about a little bit what are the few traits that you succeed, that you see that a successful CISO should have? First of all, an absolute passion for the job. Hmm. Because if you don't, you're just not going to be successful at it. It's a never-ending learning curve. Uh, the bad guys are getting smarter, which means we have to get equally as smart. We need to develop a strategic perspective on what we're doing. Uh, I like the term moral compass, but it says you have to make sure that you're focusing on doing the right thing and not get caught mm -hmm. up corporate politics. Yeah. So the advice I had early on, which I thought was incredibly good, was learn to be a diplomat, not a politician. And that, I think, has served me well and served a number of uh, current CISOs very well because they, they recognize that their times are delivering news that is not particularly pleasant. Uh, but they deliver the news on an ongoing basis. They can't be the, they can't be the focus of when they walk in the door, the, pa the Pavlovian response is, oh my God, the CISOs here were in trouble. It's gotta be developing a credibility relationship over time, uh, which means you need to be absolutely damn right honest, and you have to be able to turn around and say, I've got the answer, or I don't have the answer, but I'll give you my best assessment and I'll figure out where the heck we are. Uh, there isn't there isn't any room to for wild ass guesses. So I think think things through and also recognize that you are in a strategic role as much as you are in a tactical and operational role. So Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show. 
I mean, I really appreciated you spending time with us tonight. I mean, I hope you come back often. We got to have you back. I mean, this is, this is definitely one of the most interesting episodes we've ever had. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. So, folks, we're going to pause for a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we're right back to talk about TTP Zero with Carlos Diaz and Anne-Marie Zenemoyer after these short messages. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash GF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm going to switch gears here for a little bit, and as promised, we're going to be joined by Senior Technical Solutions Specialist at Google and TTP Zero co-founder Carlos Diaz and the Vice President of Security Engineering at MasterCard and TTP Zero Advisor, Anne-Marie Zellemeyer. So, Carlos and Anne-Marie, welcome to the show. Thanks, George. Great to be on. So, hey, guys, hey, so tell me a little bit about TTP Zero and what it is uh, and what it's about and what its purpose is. Sure. 
So TTP0 is an open source project for the community. I think the best way to understand TTP0 is we want to be the OWASP for SOC in, in the security space. And SOCs are these uh, operation centers that are essentially strategic initiatives of a company to manage risk uh, specific to the IT security realm. Uh, the security operation centers, you know, they play uh, the core pieces of coordinating responses, uh, monitoring detection and incident response efforts whenever there's uh, situations of concern uh, for any organization. So essentially, um, we've been doing this for more than 10 years, you know, with SOX and so forth. And we feel that um, still till today, we ask ourselves the question of, how come security programs fail even though they're well-funded? Um, and parts of uh, pretty much tackling that problem have allowed us to find that uh, even though you can be well-funded with the best inter enterprise tools, um, the people aspect of how we apply techniques, tactics, and set up procedures in order to maximize all of those resources is what ultimately allows these security programs to thrive. So we aim pretty much to bring the how piece of socks for free to everyone who has a sock out there or who's thinking about building a sock. You know, so this is a very interesting concept, right? So it's really is, and a lot of organizations now are, are not only grading people on, you know, what you get done, but it's how you get it done, right? That's just as important and sometimes even more important. So when thinking about this project, how was TTP Zero created? How did this idea come about? Certainly. So essentially, um, myself uh, and three other guys uh, started this. Uh, you know, on Twitter, you can follow about security, Carrick Dooley and Psychology or Psychologize. Uh, these are the three guys that I've worked with for five years uh, consulting in this space. And previous to that, each one of us had uh, very successful careers as well. But the bottom line is after consulting with the military background that some of us brought and the industry background, we concluded that uh, the problem is common. There are three dimensions to this problem where there's uh, a still a dull or weak business alignment. And as a consequence of that business uh, alignment, um, there are fragmented SOC resources uh, that can be the tools of people and the processes that are in SOC. And as a direct consequence of that, uh, businesses or organizations are unable to bootstrap efficiently. So basically, all of us uh, arrived at the conclusion uh, with different experiences. You know, I come from a lot of former military experience. Um, you know, Carrot comes from industry. Uh, Ishmael comes from the European industry. And Robert uh, comes from a mixture of military like myself. And as we consulted, uh, we, we pretty much agreed that that was a problem. And so the way we tackled it was by having a purest security approach. And we call it purest security where, you know, it's the person, the operator, and the team of folks uh, that are putting their, their brains together. It's not a tool that we executed this. And that's, that's how we started TTP Zero. So it sounds to me like it's the diversity of thought and experience that really adds the value to this organization that you've created, which is really, really cool. And I think that's a lot of how a lot of organizations are trying to build their, 
their talent. Uh, in this case, this is a, this is a project uh, built to solve specific kinds of problems. So, I want to talk about that a little bit. I mean, exactly what kind of problems are you trying to solve with the creation of TTP Zero? Because um, you touched on a bunch of different things. I think it's it's the how, and in terms of you know almost the orchestration of your operational assets. Uh, you're, you talked about business alignment a little bit, and I just kind of want to jump a little bit deeper into those topics, if you don't mind. Sure. So, you know, George, we, recent studies have shown that the majority of SOCs, and I mean vast majority of SOCs in the United States and globally, are underperforming. So, so depending on the study, you'll see numbers like anywhere from 83 to 75%. And 75% is an improvement this year. On, on performance of, of security operation centers. And what that means is that those numbers, 75%, are not meeting their business objectives. If you look at a maturity scale of zero to five or one to five, you know, they're, they're hovering around 1.5, which means, you know, you have sort of the basics. People throw in, you know, monitors and tools and, and people and seats, but they're not actually moving the needle forward. They're not actually defending things. And you can design a SOC, like, like many security capabilities, you can design this capability to overcome some of the inherent challenges you have in a SOC. If you're looking at the people aspects alone, you have high turnover. Why? Because a lot of times the work is frustrating or not engaging. It gets repetitive. You get alert fatigue. Um, you know, there's lack of career pathing. You know, and so folks don't necessarily think about what it takes to pull off a successful operation of a capability when it comes to people. From the tech aspect, you throw a lot of stuff in a sim or a seam, potato, potato, depending on what you are, but there's not enough diversity of thought in the room to understand that you really have to do data normalization on that. You have to pick apart, you know, what the alerts mean and what the attributes to alerts mean so that when you bring them into a single pane of glass, right, it's normalized and you can help the analyst prioritize alerts. Otherwise, you just get buried in a ton of, of false positives or a, a sea of data that you really don't have guidance on, on what to choose first. And what, that, what happens in that situation is that everything becomes equally important, so nothing becomes important. And so we see a lot of, uh, you know, the same themes, the same issues, the same struggles from organization to organization. I've been in uh, eight industries, right, over the past 20 years and have seen this time and time and again. And what the, the beauty of TTP Zero, what it can help solve, is take the expertise from the community without the barrier of you're this vendor, I'm this org, you know, right? We're not, we're not trying to vie for anything other than really helping the defenders, you know, understand what the best practices are and understand what the common challenges are so that we can together as a community help craft solutions that are going to actually work, right? What do you think is the main root cause of some of these uh, socks being so immature and, and, and receiving such low maturity ratings when they've been around for so long? I mean, this is not a new concept. Uh, in this space. Surely this has been around for many, many years. What's the root cause? Why is it so bad? Well, so you know, what's, what's funny is that uh, if anyone who knows me knows that I'm a, I'm a data nerd. And so <laughs> <laughs> a 
everything for me comes down to data along with experience, right? It's got to be a blend. And so there's a difference between causation and correlation. When you talk about the root cause, I think there are um, key indicators that would show, you know, or commonalities that are why these things are kind of sloppy. The first one Carlos touched upon earlier is the lack of business alignment, which means that, you know, security organizations, they create a SOC, or what they would call a SOC, but they don't really know, they don't really take the time to understand what they're creating it for. What are the goals of the SOC? What does the business need it to do? Because, you know, sometimes we think that's, um, you know, an intuitive question. And then what happens is that, you know, like I said, you just put people in seats and chairs and you have like a bunch of screens, some, some cool lighting and wonder why nobody's catching anything, right? <laughs> so the first thing is understand, right? You're laughing, right? Because you've seen it. You can stand in a sock and in, you know, seconds, at least I'm sure you can too. I know I can. You could just, you could tell what the issue is. You could tell that what, you know, how mature the security program is just by a couple of minutes standing in the sock. So the first thing is really understanding why you're there and how you can help the business because it, it's okay for socks to have different goals and different purposes, right? There are certain commonalities, but they have to be aligned with the business. And then the second part I think is there is a, a lack of strategic thinking about how an operations center performs. You know, there's, there's ways that people interact with the tech that you have to consider. There's risks on how to, you know, if you want to keep people in the, the SOC for a certain number of years, what are the true attributes that would make someone successful in a SOC? Sometimes we hire based on, you know, our own experiences and then everybody in the SOC looks the same, right? But as you mentioned before, diversity of thought is really important. You have to have maturity of thinking and problem solving and analytical skills to be a successful SOC analyst. And what are the paths between those different areas within the SOC, right? So there's a lack of understanding of how people work, which is not necessarily a security discipline, but a business discipline exactly. right, that needs yeah. to be put in. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point and that you just make right there because I think a lot of times, especially in the cybersecurity space, people are looking at technical skills only. And it, you, it, this, this conversation really speaks to the different business skills that are needed to make a, a successful cybersecurity operation. Um, you know, and I think, look, when you look at the SOCs, it's, 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 about, it's about prioritization, it's about alignment, it's about speed, it's about agility. Well, all these things come into play and, and, if, and, and you got to be flexible too. That means you've got to have that the diversity of thought that we're talking about because the different organizations are going to have different problems, different lines of business are going to have different needs and it's not one, you know, one size fits all by any means. So who's the audience for this project? Is it just the people in the sock, the cells, or is there a wider audience for this project? So I think it's a wider audience. It's not just, you know, obviously you want to have the perspective of the practitioner in the SOC. And so we, you know, we implore the analysts to get engaged and to, you know, share their experiences of what works and what's frustrating and what they think is, is excellent. But it's also for, you know, the, the CISO and the C-suite and people that are trying to understand where to start. And what does good look like? And what should success even be? Right? I mentioned aligning it to the business. Well, sometimes the business d does not understand, you know, what goals should come out of the SOC. And that, that conversation has to be a together conversation. And this is a great place to start where you can start seeing how organizations use SOCs successfully. And then you could take those ideas and craft it to your own 
as far as your own organization. So we anticipate it and, and hope it to be a, you know, a multifaceted approach for, for anyone that's trying to solve, a, you know, the, the problem of cyber <laughs> and, right. and really, really move operations forward. So there'll be, you know, you know, very, um, I hate saying the word technical because I think it kind of discounts other concepts, but there will be, you know, sections on how to deploy seams properly and what are some of the challenges that you can overcome and some, you know, people aspects, the, the th whole three prong approach of people process and technology. And that goes from the analyst level up to the C-suite. So if we really wanted to define the value proposition of the project in terms of how does the cybersecurity community benefit from this type of approach, what, what would you say? I say you benefit from being trusted advisors to each other. If I may use an analogy, you could be driving down the street in a car, right? And you want, you know, if the question is how to get from A to B, your experience driving in the car, you'll, you'll, you'll know how to get from A to B, right? And you may answer that question, here's the route. But you may, there may also be someone on a rooftop or in an office that can see the grid of the city and see other things coming in that also will come to that to that same conclusion of here's so you turn right here, turn left here. But by the way, did you know that there's some, a blind spot over here? There's a blind spot over here. There's a threat coming in over here that you have to answer the question, how do you get to A to B safely? And the practitioner in the car understands the environment in the car. So this allows you to get a multifaceted approach from experts in the field and trusted advisors in the field. So the content will be vetted and of course, um, uh, you know, commented on by the community with, with, with trusted voices so that you have an, you know, an unbiased view of, of what good looks like and what the path to good could look like with several different options because what may not have, what may not work for your organization might work for mine. And if you have different stories and different examples to pull from, then you can start creating things that are powerful and that are appropriate and useful to your to your business to your organization no when you said trusted before i mean that really that really struck home with me right i mean especially in this space it's really about those trusted relationships collaborating and partnering with people that you could trust and getting these new ideas and implementing these new ideas into your and creating your own models really to some degree and not every model is going to be exactly the same of course i mean if you go into any different uh, a sock i'm sure you're going to find a whole bunch of different processes and in processes um, that uh, people will be ex executing on. But that trust is just so important, right? So you guys have been around for 10 years. Tell me about what uh, TTP Zero resources are available today and where do you see uh, this going in the future? Yeah, definitely, George. <clears throat> so as of today, you know, we started TTP Zero in January. Uh, we have a GitHub repo that is public and currently hosting uh, different resources. Like Anne-Marie was covering, it, we're not trying to be uh, a, an open source project of just tools, right? Uh, we are able to build these tools. In fact, we have some. So in GitHub, we have a tool called Drone, which is uh, made to streamline the incident management of uh, SOC work, right? Everything regarding investigations, contacts. Uh, we offer that for free, so that's out there in GitHub already. We have templates that are already made available for anyone who wants to see what a SOC looks like conventionally in the three-tier models and what we're advocating for, the zero-tier model, which is meant to demonstrate the concept of a self-reliant SOC. 
Uh, we have templates that are um, made for the SOC manager up to the CISO level, things like SWATs, things like 2Os um, strategies in order to determine what Anne-Marie was talking about. You know, what are the results, etc. cetera. Uh, very soon, we're about to release our wiki in mid-December, uh, which will be available for sign-up for uh, anyone that wants to join, contribute, and essentially, you know, uh, benefit from the content that was mentioned earlier. And now we're preparing, uh, since we've gotten a little bit of sponsorship by some, some good folks, we're preparing the forum platform uh, that will be released approximately beginning of January. So uh, essentially this year was about introducing the uh, project, solving the technology problem for ourselves, identifying the right tools that are going to allow us to um, offer resources to the community for free. I want to make sure that's clear. This is free as long as we're here. Uh, so that's pretty much what we got now and where we're trying to uh, go within the next couple of months. So, yeah, I mean, obviously you've done a lot since January. Um, I know this question is being, you know, there's listeners out there that are very experienced in this space and they're probably asking themselves, you know, how does this differ from other cybersecurity frameworks that I see out there like NIST and some of the other frameworks that are very popular out there? How, how does this project and, uh, differ from those types of uh, models? Excellent. Thank you. So I, I want to go back to when I first started the interview today is TGB Zero, we're focused in how. NIST frameworks, uh, ISO, you know, standards, uh, perhaps um, some of the IEEE good practices or best practices, you know, we leverage those things, but we consider those resources as the why and the what. So if we put that into uh, our world is uh, when we read NIST 800, the natural question everyone who's running a security program has is, how do I incorporate that into my environment? How do I operationalize it? Well, that's where TTP0 comes in. Uh, from different consultant views that I've had personally, as well as others, um, we want to offer the techniques that we've learned of how to practically implement these frameworks and guidelines for a real operation inside the organization. So for the people listening out there that are interested in this project, how can they contribute to this community right away? How can they get involved in the project? What do they need to do? Well, there are several ways. So of course, you know, ttp0.io, you can engage with us there. I would also encourage you to reach out to us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, find us at conferences, help us find you at conferences. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> you know, I tend to, you know, I, I tend to go to a few of them. So would love to have conversations and, and hear, you know, from different types of minds and different types of experiences so that we can start crafting something um, that is really useful for the, for the community. And when I say craft, I mean, the people that are going to come into this type of, of, of effort I would hope are, are ones that really approach their, their expertise and their job and, and their passion as a craft. We consider ourselves master craftsmen of security. And what's wonderful about that is that I know that we're not the only ones that are really passionate about this space. We're not the only ones that are protectors and, and defenders of, of this space, right? And so we want other people that have something to share 
that have something that they have learned, that they have seen be successful, that can help other organizations join us, add their voices to ours so that we can have a better picture of, of what actually works. Our experience between the five of us is only so deep. I mean, it's pretty good <laughs> and it's pretty wide, <laughs> but it's not, it's, it's not the only thing, right? There are certainly blind spots that we all have and it's going to take the community to build something that's really powerful and useful without the bias of a vendor or a, or, or a specific purpose for monetary reasons or whatever. We're looking for people that have a passion for defense, a passion for protection to come and share their experiences and help us build something great. So reach out to us. When you see us at conferences, when you see us on LinkedIn, see us on Twitter, go to the website, reach out to us and, and invite us in to have discussions with you. Well, guys, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate you coming on, talking about solving some real-world problems in the cybersecurity world, and that's what this show is all about. If I can ever help you in any way, please, please let me know. Reach out to me right away. Thanks, George. Thank you so much, George. Appreciate you. All right, folks, we've run out of time once again, but before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.